Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. and gentlemen welcome to another edition of gbb live yes your ears are not confusing you this is parker fleming host of the core four podcast joe's co-host on gbb live and the gbb associate editor giving joe a little breather this week i'm actually surprised that he's letting me use gbb live for this podcast but here we are and make sure you're listening to every episode of gbb live the core four podcast the starting five podcast and the three and d podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure you're reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And with me today is the producer of the Giannato and Jeffrey Show every weekday from 2 to 4 on 92.9 ESPN and a social media admin for plenty of accounts, and also the co-host of the Sound and Color podcast and the Run It Back podcast. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Connor Dunning. Connor, Hello, how's it sir. going? Oh, I'm happy to be here, man. Today was actually the first day that I was in studio with Mark and Jeffrey again. We're finally back post-COVID in the studio. We're still doing all the precautions that we're supposed to be doing. But you know, man, I can't lie to you. I'm pretty shocked that, uh, that Joe is allowing – Dylan Brooks Island to infiltrate <laughs> Grizzly Bear Blues live right now, baby. <laughs> wow, what a what a transition because I mean everyone knows the bubble is over for the Memphis Grizzlies after last week's loss against the Portland Trailblazers in the play-in game for the eight seed. And during that bubble, we had our island attacked. Not even just Dylan Brooks Island, but the island of DeAnthony Melton as well. And, you know, that just doesn't sit well with us. It was, it was like the scene in Pirates of the Caribbean when they first came up on shore. We thought that we were good. We thought that we had some difficulties we would have to overcome. And then everything was on fire for about three games. But, you know, we got through it. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone's kind of unfamiliar with what Melton and Brooks did over the course of the bubble, I mean, it was kind of – uncharacteristic of them. I mean, Dylan Brooks, he's still balled out in terms of like the counting stats. He averaged 20.1 points, 3.6 rebounds, 2.7 assists, but he also shot 43% from the field and a little under 33% from three. And the Anthony Melton shooting splits uh, were quite ugly. He shot 27% from the field and a little under 17% from three, and even worse, he shot 40% from the free throw line. Yeah, so, my, uh, my plan to poison D'Anthony Melton's water during the bubble so that the value of him would drop so Atlanta couldn't come steal him away from me definitely worked. Now, it may have hurt the Grizzlies, but long-term, I think that I made the right move for the Grizzlies. Yeah, for sure. And with this performance for D'Anthony Melton, we'll start with him first. What do we really make out of it? Because this was a guy that coming into the bubble, he was a fancy free agent target for a lot of people in NBA Twitter. You had people willing to offer him as much as four years, 50 million. 
And that's a lot for a 22-year-old guard that doesn't, isn't really like an outside shooting threat. But, I mean, he does everything else, as you always dub him, the, the glue guy. So yeah, the ultimate glue guy. What do you see out of De'Anthony Melton coming out of this bubble and coming into free agency? I mean, did he kind of tank his value a little bit? Or do you think we're just overreacting to his performance? You're the expert here. What should we um, I think the answer with DeAnthony is probably somewhere in the middle because I do think that he probably hurt his overall free agency value in terms that he showed teams that he's probably not ready or, or may not have the ability right now to really be a backup point guard. And he's a little small to be your real backup shooting guard. It works on the Grizzlies just because of the lineups that we have. He really fits in well there. Um, but the bubble play, I, I don't really think that there's a huge mystery as to why he struggled in those first few games. He was playing out of position, and he was, asked, and he was being asked to do things that he is uncomfortable doing. De'Anthony Melton is not an on-ball type of player. He is a guy that thrives by being able to cut to the rim and to be able to just cause chaos on the defensive end. He is more of a reactionary player than a proactive player. Like, Ja is more of a proactive player. He makes things happen. DeAnthony is a reactionary player. He reacts to what's going on very well. And that's how he's always kind of in the right spot because he's able to know, okay, this happened, so I need to do this. He's very kind of by the books. So when you give him the ball and you're saying, hey, you're now our main playmaker for the second unit and you don't have Tyus anymore, it, it just threw him off. I think he was in an uncomfortable position. And then we saw kind of when they switched it up toward the end of the bubble, we started seeing that ultimate glue guy get pulled back out of De'Anthony Melton when he was able to go back into the role that he was comfortable with. He was causing havoc on the defensive end. He was great rebounding. He was making great passes, and he would score every once in a while when you needed to. Um, De'Anthony Melton, his role is truly, it is a bench unit. Just he's going to come in, make some defensive stops. He'll hit a three every once in a while. It's not going to happen a lot. Um, the big concern was his free throw shooting. I think that that was a legitimate concern now. I don't know if that was just nerves getting to him. It very well could have been. It could have been a big moment got to him. And he may have been pressing a little bit because he was already struggling with this shot. So I think the free throw percentages will come up. Uh, The three-point shooting, let's be honest, it was kind of normal for what it was. He had a better uh, season shooting from the three-point line for the Grizzlies. But overall, he's not a great one. He's much better at at catch-and-shoot threes than he is on pull-up threes. And we saw him try to pull it up a couple of times. And there was a lot of late late shot clock situations in which he had to kind of bomb a three as well. But overall, I'm not too concerned about De'Anthony Melton. I'm really not because we saw flashes of what he was all season. We have a huge sample size of the entire season of him doing what he did. I mean, he had a really good season. You still go back and you look at his per 36 minutes, his totals, even just his averages per game. He was super effective for the Grizzlies. And when he played well, it usually bode well for the Grizzlies. So I am not worried about him moving forward in a weird way. This may actually work out to be a positive for the Grizzlies moving forward because he may have dropped his value a little bit. So you're not going to have to battle teams like the Hawks with $50 million offer sheets because I love DeAnthony to death. I've already told Catherine that my firstborn child will be named DeAnthony and she's just going to have to get used to that. I'm not paying $50 million to keep him in Memphis. I'm just not. Oh no, I agree with you. And you're, you're right. I think a lot of ta- uh, DeAnthony's struggles are tied to the fact that Tyus Jones is not on the court. Absolutely. And I underestimated his impact when – I think everyone did. Down. Yeah, hand up. Yeah, and I, I think Joe said this on GBB. And I may be paraphrasing here. He might be Mr. Do something, but he's not Mr. Do everything. He was being asked to do way too much. Exactly. And – that probably hurt his shooting numbers, both on from the field, from three-point, because he's being asked to create his own shot, and that's not his game. If you look back at it, he in the second unit, they probably should have had Kyle take more of those backup point guard minutes, even though, granted, John was playing 35, 40 minutes a night, so there wasn't a lot of those opportunities for him to be the backup point guard. But it would have gotten DeAnthony Melton off ball in a situation where he's most comfortable to where he can find most of his offense from running the lanes in transition or off cuts while the team is, while the defense is focused on the Tyus and Brandon Clark pick and roll. And I just think we just saw somebody that beat us asked just too much out of his role. And as far as his value goes, I mean, even before the bubble, I was skeptical of his value whenever teams were like, oh, yeah. 
four and fifty seems like an offer I'd give you. Way too much. Yeah, it, it is a lot. And honestly, we had the same thing happen in 2017 with Jamichael Green. Everybody thought he was going to get a bag, including me. I thought Jamichael Green was going to get a bag. And because of the Warriors' dominance and then Cleveland's dominance, they, they didn't generate enough playoff revenue, so the projected salary cap was a little under, which made the market dry out, and Jamichael Green didn't get paid. And I think the same thing can happen with De'Anthony Melton because – I don't think people remember this uh, pandemic will affect the salary cap big time. Absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to hit hard. So, I mean, you didn't get the fan revenue. You didn't get uh, ticket revenue. You just didn't generate off a lot of revenue. I mean, you had the non-bubble teams. They missed out on about between 15 and 17 games. And that's a lot of money when you think about it. And you wonder, are teams really going to be – wanting to overspend on a 22 year old guard that hasn't really shown much of like starter potential. Because like you said, you you're the biggest Anthony Melton guy probably in Memphis media. And you don't think that he's more than likely going to be a starter on a playoff team. He's likely going to be an off the bench guy. And do you really want to pay about nine to 10 to $12 million annually on a guy who's ultimately your an undersized backup shooting guard. Probably not, but that doesn't mean that he's not a good player and that he's not valuable to a playoff team because he could be. But, I mean, the bubble was not an encouraging performance for De'Anthony Melton. No, I, I think you said it best when you said, um, when you were paraphrasing kind of what Joe says, is that, yeah, like he's Mr. Do-something in, in moments. He's Certainly he can be. But the reason I call him the ultimate glue guy is because he fills in the cracks of what some of your other guys aren't doing. Like, you need Jaw to get more rebounds? Well, guess what? Melton's going to go get more rebounds. You need to hide Jaw on the defensive end? Cool. Throw Melton then. He can – he can help something happen. You want John to be off ball for, for a possession? Or you want Tyus to be off ball? Or you want to run some different play? Cool. That's where Danzig can step in and he can run the point for like a possession or two at a time. But when you ask him to – when you inflate things and you say, hey, you are now the backup point guard, that was just too much for him. And like you said, he is still pretty young. I still think that he is very valuable for the Grizzlies moving forward if they can hold on to him. One good thing about the bubble – and good is it's good in terms of De'Anthony Melton's uh, possibility of staying a Grizzly is that it really I think that we really kind of figured out that Josh Jackson moving forward is not really in the plans for the Grizzlies so we're because remember before the bubble happened and before the suspension of the season everyone was like oh well they can we keep both are they gonna have to decide now it's pretty clear that the Grizzlies only really have to figure out the money for Melton and not both of them now so I do think that's gonna make it easier moving forward I mean when you still go back and you look at De'Anthony Melton's stat, like he still added like 1.7 wins in defensive win shares. He still added win shares. He was still positive across the board. He still has the highest plus minus on the team. All of those things are still true, even from the eight game sample. And that's why we have to be cautious not to overreact to those eight games because they were in a vacuum. There were very weird scenarios around those eight games. And a lot of guys are being asked to do things that they don't necessarily have to do during a normal 82 game season when the team is fully healthy. So that's why I, there were still some encouraging things that came from the bubble with guys like De'Anthony Melton. Like you saw him bounce back. You saw him have some perseverance. You saw the fight in the team. And that's why overall, I'm not super worried about him. Um, it was an uncharacteristic first few games. We saw flashes of what he actually is, but overall, I still love De'Anthony Melton, and I still think that if he can stay with the Grizzlies moving forward and that they can figure it out, he can be a piece on a contending team. I legitimately think that he can be a piece off of your bench that just makes that second unit run so well. And who knows? Maybe he does develop a shot down the road. I doubt it, but it could happen. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in yesterday's media call with Zach Kleiman and Coach Jenkins, Kleiman did – praise De'Anthony Melton's play this season and also how he fits with the team both on and off the court. That's really important because they are wanting to build a, not even just a winning team, but a winning culture. They want to ha- build a right. great culture full of high character guys that produce winning. They, they like playing with each other and they like hanging out with each other. And everybody forgets the Phoenix Suns, Memphis Grizzlies trade. It wasn't for Josh Jackson. It was so no, they could get De'Anthony Melton. They Trojan horsed Melton then. Yeah, absolutely. And so one person we really need to talk about is yes. 
Dylan Brooks because there was so much slander on the timeline. And I thought it was pretty stupid, to be honest. I mean, granted, I'm not going to say that he was awesome. There was a lot of games he sucked. And that's saying a lot coming from the Arthur of the uh, Constitution of Dylan Brooks Island. (laughs) There was some games where he sucked. There was a lot of games where – I watched him take a pull-up three with 18 seconds on the shot clock, and I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? I had those moments too. But the whole overreaction of like, oh, he sucks. They should trade him. They should bench him. Making Instagram accounts saying, I'm posting every day until Dylan Brooks gets traded. That's stupid. Because you probably agree with me here. If it wasn't for Dylan Brooks' stretch from December to early February before the All-Star break, they would have been one of those eight teams not invited to the bubble. In fact, we would probably be using this podcast right now to talk about if the Grizzlies should draft Anthony Edwards, Denny Avigia, or James Wiseman. Thank, thank God we are. Team convey. Team convey. I hope that age as well. Yeah, so what should we really make out of the Dylan Brooks experience from the bubble? Because – the county stats, I suggest that he did pretty well. But, I mean, you watch the eye test, and it was the Dylan Brooks show. There's, there's some moments where you're like, oh, that was a nice play. Like, he had some good taste to the rim. He hit threes within the flow of the offense. And then the next play, he takes a contested three with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. I tweeted during the bubble. I said, you can't tweet anything good or bad about Dylan Brooks because the very next play, he's going to cold take you. <laughs> that that may actually be the most accurate way to describe Dylan Brooks. Um, now, I, I agree with you. I think most of the criticism toward Dylan Brooks is super overreact or not su- super a bit. It's a bit overreactionary. It's a it's just it's too much. Like let's be honest, guys. The Grizzlies would not have even been in the bubble, like you said, without Dylan Brooks. He got that contract for a reason. And get out of my face with oh, well, he started sucking after the contract. I, I, I hate that storyline for any guys, especially a guy like Dylan Brooks, who works his ass off every single time he's on the court. Now, before I go into the pauses about Dylan Brooks, I'm going to say he did. He was terrible in a few games. He really was. There were, I even tweeted out, this may be the worst game of Dylan Brooks's career. It, there, was, there were a few games where he was just awful, like the 7 for 20 game can't happen in a moment like that. Like you just, you can't have that happen. The five for 15, 11 to 26 against the Raptors was I think the one that really made me tweet that one out, but he still had those games though, where he was 12, 12 for 18, 10 for 18. He still helped you win games. He was being asked to do a lot for the Grizzlies during this bubble team. If you think about it, they started the bubble. The guy that they were banking on being the help on the wing for a playmaker went down in Justice Winslow. And then right before the bubble started, your other playmaker goes down in Tyus Jones. And then guess what? A couple of games in, one of your best offensive players goes down as well on Jaron Jackson Jr. So Dylan Brooks, his role just got inflated to a level that I don't think he was expecting. And he was trying a little bit too hard. Now, there's good and bad Dylan. The real Dylan lies somewhere in the middle. I think we can all acknowledge that Dylan Brooks is not really for, – for, for him to be successful with the Grizzlies in the future, I don't think he would be the starting two guard. I think his main role is the sixth man coming off the bench, three and D. I tweeted it out yesterday. You, I bounced this take off of you a few times. I really do think that if Dylan Brooks can develop into a Norm Powell-esque player for the Memphis Grizzlies, that is how he would thrive in the future for the Grizzlies. But in the bubble – Yes, he shot. He had bad shot selection. He was fouling way too much, but he was still playing his ass off defensively. He still checked Dame. He was checking DeRozan. He was checking the best guys on the other team, night in and night out. He was giving John a break there. He still had moments where he couldn't miss. Like there were so, like there were a few games where he would just go ballistic from three all of a sudden, and Dylan Brooks Island was having a damn party, and we were throwing beer around, tiny bombs for everybody, and it was. And it was a ton of fun. But then, like you said, it would immediately get crashed by like a foul on a three-point shooter as they hit it. So it turns into a four-point play. It is He is truly like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sometimes you're going to get Dr. Jekyll. 
Sometimes you're going to get Mr. Hyde. Most of the time, I think you're getting Dr. Jekyll. I think that's the good one. I'm pretty sure Mr. Hyde's the bad one. If I'm backwards on that, y'all know what I'm trying to say. Uh, but like you said, like you, you were the founder of Dylan Brooks Island. I just, I'm just kind of the co-founder, I, I suppose. Um, it's, it's, he is a frustrating player. But at the same time, I love him because of how hard he plays. And I think that his personality for the team is so important. And when you also have to remember, this guy hasn't really played three seasons in the NBA. Yes, this was technically his third season, but the second season was kind of a lost season for him. So this was really like his second season. So let's pump the brakes on him. One, it, tr trading Dylan Brooks away is silly to me. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, especially right now when you have the free agent market of 2021 coming up. Why, why panic into a trade right now when you don't really need to do it? This team is ahead to schedule, so let them develop slowly. We don't need to rush things along. Let these guys develop over time together. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I think the whole ironic thing to me is you have all these takes firing off on Grizzlies Twitter saying, oh, the Grizzlies need a shooter. They need a wing score, yada, yada, yada. And meanwhile, they want to trade Dylan Brooks, who is a shooter and is a wing scorer. And for the first time probably ever since they traded Rudy Gay, you can say that someone is the best wing since Rudy Gay on the Grizzlies. And it's not a bad thing. And I know there's those Rudy left a bad taste in people's mouths for some reason. But I mean, it's no, no secret that they've needed a guy like him since they traded him. And Dylan Brooks has done very well, especially like we've all said, he's being asked to do way too much. Honestly, on a great Grizzlies team, if he's still in the picture, if he's not used as a trade piece for it, he's a sixth or seventh man. And honestly, right. having Dylan Brooks as your sixth or seventh man is really good because it allows him to play his game. And he's a good three-level scorer. At times, he uses his physical body to bully opponents to the rim. He has, at times, when he's actually patient within the pick and roll and within the flow of the offense, he can attack drop coverages and rise over smaller defenders for mid-range jumpers. And he's also a pretty good catch-and-shoot player as well from three. I mean, he shot almost 40% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. And you're looking for those kind of guys around John Morant and around Jaron Jackson Jr. And everyone's taking him for granted. And I think one thing, too, that another reason why I'm, I kind of don't really slander as much is I know he gets all these Rudy Gay and Jeff Green comps. But one thing you can say about Dylan Brooks is from the opening tip to the final buzzer, he's going to give a shit the entire game. There's and that's no, important. That's so important, especially for a young team. Right. They, there's never like a – like with Rudy and Jeff Green, they disappeared at times. And you can tell by their body language that they were just mentally checked out of the game. Dylan Brooks never mentally checks himself out of the game. He is focused, playing hard, diving for loose balls, checking opponents all 48 minutes. And I just don't see how you can hate that guy, especially when there's plenty of players in the NBA that if it's the, an off-shooting night or an off-offensive night, they're checked out. They're done. And you have a guy who's scoring 15 points a game and shooting around 36% from three who actually cares on both ends of the court. I don't – like, why slander that? Like, that's what you want on your team. You want guys that will go to war for you for all 48 minutes. But right. And, like – and, and and we're not saying that it's not okay to criticize a player because there were moments where Dylan Brooks absolutely deserves criticism. And I'm fine for that, but going zero to 100 on a guy going from, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I guess what was annoying is that he would take one shot and he would miss it. And people would be like, Oh, he's bad. Dylan's back. Da, 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 da. It's like, let patience, patience. Like one of the biggest things that, that we've learned. And to be honest, the person that actually taught me this was Brevin Knight. He told me the most important thing you can do while you're watching basketball and as a fan or as a reporter or whatever is be patient. You can't react to every single play. You got to react to the full body of things that are going on. Yeah. Dylan Brooks didn't have a great bubble, but he had a good bubble. He had moments that were really bad. He had moments that were at the top of Mount Everest. So it's in the middle. Like we've always said with Dylan Brooks, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get good Dylan, you're going to get bad Dylan. But in reality, he's middle Dylan most of the way. But we have to give this guy to time to develop over time. And I will say this. After his Raptors game, 
where he went 11 for 26, three of 10 from three. It was very clear to me that he came back after that game more patient. He seemed a lot more patient. He was picking his spots more. He was making the extra pass. He was more effective in the three games after that. He made like he went five or fifteen against the Celtics, which isn't great. But then he went twelve for eighteen against the Bucks. Like he's he was picking his spots more. He hit four threes against the Bucks, four threes against against the Trailblazers, and he had steals and he had blocks. That is what we need him to be moving forward. A three and D six man. That is his that is his destiny. And I really do hope that he gets there for the Memphis Grizzlies. Now he does have a very team friendly contract. So moving forward, yeah, he may be a trade piece, but it just it doesn't make any sense to me for this team to go into this offseason trying to trade Dylan Brooks, Brooks, especially when you have a guy like Justice Winslow coming into the fold next next season. Just wait and see, man. Like, I think that with this Grizzlies team, it, it's, it's going to be tough. Next season is going to be a little confusing, I think, because the West is going to be loaded, and we have to be prepared for this team to have some speed bumps because they are still the youngest team in the NBA in terms of minutes played. They still have a lot of guys that are going to be coming back to the team, like Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson Jr., Tyus Jones. are going to have to figure out that rhythm again. There are going to be a lot of moving pieces, and we cannot panic if they start to lose a little bit, and we can't make a panic trade. And that's why I feel so much more tough. Like, here, let me ask you this. If Chris Wallace was still the GM, I think Dylan Brooks would be gone in a couple of weeks. But we have King Kleiman. I think that he sees past this offseason. I think he sees past just that little eight-game sample of the bubble. I think he sees Dylan Brooks' value down the road. And that's why it's so weird when you and I get into it with some fellow GBBers or some people on 929 even disagree with me, just or even Grizzlies fans on Twitter or just around conversation about him, is that we are not saying Dylan Brooks is, is the starting two guard of the Memphis Grizzlies. We are saying that Right now, he's the starting two guard in the Memphis Grizzlies because he's the best one they got. He's the only one that they got. He is absolutely the best one for the two guard for the Grizzlies right now. What we are arguing is we need to hold on to him, let him develop with the team, let him develop with the core, let his attitude stick around, let his start-to-finish play stick around, which we also saw in Grayson Allen, which I'm sure that we will talk about here in a little bit. Um, you got to let that guy stick around, and maybe down the road he can become your sixth man, and hey – if he, if he doesn't have the temperament for it, if he becomes a problem in the locker room because he doesn't want to change his role, then you get rid of him. But I don't know. I don't, I'm just super against panic trades for really no reason. It's Dylan Brooks does what he does for the Grizzlies, and he does it well. He, he is effective. The Grizzlies win when he scores 20 points per game for a reason. Yes, he has to be, have a better shot selection. Yes, he has to foul less. But at the end of the day, if that's really the two worst things a player is doing, they're pretty good. I'm just going to say that. And defensively, he never gets enough credit. He checked game in that game, man. He checked him. He, like, he held him pretty well. He gave the Grizzlies a legitimate chance, and he was one of the best players in the game. I think I even said Dylan Brooks was the best player on the floor for the Memphis Grizzlies in the first half of that game because of all he was doing. It's So I guess my message to Grizzlies fans is if you're going to criticize him, fine, but you also have to give him credit for the things he does well. And I don't think he gets near enough credit for the things he does well. And for some reason he gets too much criticism and that imbalance is frustrating to see. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to take a quick ad break, but on the other side, we're going to get with you on our question of the day. All right. Welcome back. And so today's question of the day and by the way, thank you to the 262 voters that voted on this question. Which bubble stat do you have the most confidence in going forward? At 30.9%, we had Jaws 6.1 rebounds per game. At 42.7%, we had Grayson Allen's 47.5% three-point shooting. At 22.9%, we had Jonas Valanciunas' 3.1 assists per game. And then 3.4% voted other. And some of the mentions were about Jaron's scoring and Jaws' assist. But the winner of that, and the biggest win for my brand, was Grayson Allen shooting 47% from three in this nine-game sample size. And, you know, by now everybody knows I'm the Grayson Allen guy as far as Memphis media. And I think one thing that kind of maybe flew under the radar for most people was the fact that before this whole shutdown, he was supposed to be out for the season, and he had a very injury-riddled sophomore season. And it wasn't even one of those like, oh, hell's a thing for him. 
it was just bad luck. He turned his ankle twice and then he had a hip, a freak hip injury. And then he got this little stretch, this four month stretch where he got to rehab and work on his game in Memphis. And he broke out in the bubble. I mean, over the course of the bubble, he averaged 12.4 points and shot 47% from three on 5.7 attempts per game. And so for the Memphis Grizzlies going forward, that's massive. If that, granted, I don't know if he can shoot 47.5% from three, but if Grayson Allen can be a guy that comes off the bench and can space the floor for you at a high volume while also putting the ball on the floor and making plays for you off the dribble, that's a huge thing for the Grizzlies going forward, especially since they have him on a rookie deal for two more seasons. So, Connor, what do you make out of Grayson Allen's performance in the bubble? Do you think that is a great sign for the Grizzlies' future, or do you think it was one of those things like, oh, Tyus, Justice, they were out, so it had to open up time for someone else, and Grayson took advantage of it? Well, so when I actually I answered the question, and I did choose Grayson Allen's three-point shooting is what I think is the most sustainable. My second choice for that would actually be Jaren's scoring. Um, I don't expect him to shoot 47% from three, of course. That would be, oh, my God, levels of shooting. But I do think he could shoot, I don't know, 38 42% from three, somewhere in between there. Um, I do think this is sustainable, especially because of how he played. It's not like he was going out there scoring 30 points per game and hitting 15 threes. He was hitting three or four threes a game. I think one time he had a game where he hit, like, he hit a whole bunch in one of them. I can't remember which game that was. Let's see. He went – there's one where he went six of eight. Like that, mm-hmm. that's kind of an outlier. I think that the ones that we really need to look at are like the two for sixes, the three for eights, the four for tens. Like that's fantastic. If you can just have that threat in the second unit. And like you said, he's on that bargain deal. So there's no reason to panic with him. We can see how, how he develops over time. Now I fell in love with Grayson Allen's shooting during the bubble. And I don't know if this was just me trying to do confirmation bias for myself, but I went back and I watched some old clips of Grayson Allen throughout the season on the Grizzlies. And it looks like he one has more confidence in his shot because he would kind of do like a hesitation before he would shoot in the regular season. And it looked like he was throwing them off. But second, his shot looks very different than it used to. It's more, it's more tight, I guess. And he's really flicking that wrist and I have confidence when he shoots it. I tweeted out, Having a, having a Grizzlies player where I have full confidence in their three-point shooting ability is a blessing I never thought I would see in this lifetime. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to finally be able to see it, and I hope to see it moving forward. Um, another thing that I fell in love with that other Grizzlies fans really fell in love with that I saw is that this dude hustles, man. Like, he may not be the best defender, but I'm going to tell you, he's going to be an annoying gnat for whoever he is on. He's going to annoy him. He's going to get in their heads. He's going to always be there. He hustles his ass off. He plays his ass off every single time. He's running up and down the court. And very similar to Dylan Brooks, hey, that guy may not be the best player, but if he does a lot of things really well and he helps the team win, plus he has that attitude, plus the ability to develop, plus he's on a good deal, hell yeah, I want that guy on my team. So I think that Grayson Allen is sustainable moving forward. I think he can become a key piece for that second unit moving forward. They're going to have to figure out roles for him, but I think that he really showed that with the opportunity, he can take reins of that and make something of himself in the NBA because for some reason, for some reason I thought that he was like a fourth-year guy, and then you forget that he's so young and that he's only a second-year guy in the league, and if he can become a three-point specialist for the Grizzlies, that's fantastic. And I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but – it's time for people to let go of his Duke past. Let it go. Just just let it float off into the sky into a balloon and let it burn up. That was so long ago, y'all. Like, he's a different guy now. He, he, what, what, what's the only incident that he's had with the Grizzlies is when he tapped Grant Williams in the head during summer league and everybody lost their minds. Going, he, he assaulted Grant Williams. No, he didn't. He hit him in the head on a layup. Get over yourself. Like, so, yes, I think that Grayson Allen is sustainable moving forward. Absolutely. And – I like going back to what you said about his defense. Another player, just like we talked about earlier in the show, he was a guy that was guarding Dame in crunch time. And you you can't be a slouch defender if coaches trusting you to guard probably the most potent player from thirty feet out in the game right now. Obviously, he's the best scorer in the bubble. Oh yeah, yeah, he was unbelievable. He was probably the best player in the bubble by a landslide. 
and you're trusted to guard that guy in a crucial do-or-die situation, yeah, he's a good defender. But also, too, I remember listening to the Chris Vernon show a few weeks ago, and they're comparing, like, Grayson Allen, Josh Jackson. And, you know, that's pretty controversial for a lot of Grizzlies fans because they're like, oh, Josh Jackson's better than Grayson Allen. Why is, why is he not playing over him? And one thing Grayson showed, well, for one, he showed that he's better because he actually brings something that the team needs, and that's outside shooting. But he also plays really well within the system. He's right. like a guy like Dylan Brooks. He's not forcing shots. If he doesn't have it, he's going to keep moving the basketball. And one thing about Grayson Allen, too, that I really like, and it's just like kind of a product of the modern NBA, is if he's not shooting threes, he's getting in the paint. I think he was like 70% or something at the 60 to 70% at the rim. And that's pretty good for a guy that's six, four and not necessarily the most, he's an athlete. Don't get me wrong, but he's not like Russell Westbrook or prime John wall or anything. And he's converting well at the rim has a very nice patient floater. And you just want guys that are on bargain deals like that. And I think it's another product too of, don't just pigeonhole these four-year guys as finished products. I think a lot of people judged Grayson Allen off his Utah run where he got a lot of inconsistent minutes. It's like, oh, yeah, he's not an NBA player. He's not a good NBA player, whatever. I, I remember doing a stat dive a while back, and his second-year numbers this season compared to J.J. Reddick's. And J- obviously, J.J. Reddick's had a very successful about 15-year career in the NBA and you also have a guy like Joe Harris who he didn't find his niche on a team until his like third season. And he's right. one of the most potent three-point weapons in the NBA. And I think those are kind of like favorable physical comps for him as far as like his game and everything. I don't think he – if he ever becomes J.J. Redick, I'll be insufferable. Hell, if he even becomes Joe, Joe <laughs> Harris, I'll be insufferable. But – the bottom line is there is room for improvement and Grayson showed that in the bubble. And I think it's an encouraging sign going forward because for one, as we talked about earlier in the show, we talked about D'Anthony Melton's free agency. It kind of eases the sting if a team yeah. throws a fat offer sheet. You, you're like, okay, yeah. well, we have Grayson Allen who shot really well from three. He made plays off the dribble and he could defend positions one through three. Okay, we have that guy. We, D- losing DeAnthony sucks, but at least we have Grayson Allen still on a very team-friendly deal for two more seasons. And I, I just think it's, it's awesome to see just the whole comeback story and just kind of lighting it up. Also, just proving all my naysayers wrong. That's pretty cool to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a victory lap for you, absolutely, while he was going nuts. And to your point, though, like he – He's a sneaky athletic guy. Like, I forget how much he can kind of fly through the air and make some of these athletic uh, highlight type of dunks. And he does shoot – he shot 83% from the free throw line when he was in the bubble, so he was hitting his free throws when he actually got to the line. Um, but, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. And I think that kind of you, – you touched on one thing that I think we really need to focus on as a fan base and kind of people that are reporting on the team and watching this team is that we've got to remember that this team is ahead of schedule. And a lot of these guys on rookie deals, a lot of these guys are younger than us. I'm 25 and most of this team is younger than me. You know how weird that is? That just shows how ahead of schedule this team is. So we have to allow them to develop over time. We're not going for a championship next season. We're going to try to make the playoffs next season. That is the goal. We have to keep Mm -hmm. the goalposts realistic. We have to keep the goals realistic. So that's why guys like Grace now on rookie deals – Awesome. Let's see how he develops with this team. Dylan Brooks, awesome. Let's see how he develops over time. John Concher, who that dude deserves more minutes. I'm just going to say that. Brandon, that's for you. Let's see how this guy develops over time. When he got run in the bubble, he made an impact. And that's why it's so exciting right now to be a Grizzlies fan because we have these stars or these potential stars in John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., but then you have all of these younger guys that are kind of figuring it out. And if they do come together, it's going to be something special. And I do think that it's going to be able to come together, but we have to allow them time to let it happen. And that's why I was so happy to see Grayson Allen have the bubble that he did, because to be quite honest, I think it bought him more time with the front office and just with the fan base. They're going to say now, okay, we saw the potential of what he can be. Let's see what he develops into moving forward. So overall, 
the bubble was frustrating for the Grizzlies. They went two and six. We didn't make the playoffs, even though technically I'm still kind of counting it as a playoffs. Um, but at the end of the day, the youngest team in the NBA in terms of minutes got some amazing run in high pressure games against some of the best players in the league. And not one time did this young Grizzlies team give up. They never gave up. Games that they may have been getting blown out in, they always came back and they made it something at the end of the game. They play their asses off. And that's what I'm going to hang my hat on as a Grizzlies fan is that, yeah, we just, we just didn't have it in the bubble. But they never gave up and they believed in themselves. And I'm going to back guys that do that every single time. If my team sucks and, but, and they're just not fun to watch and they're, they have terrible attitudes, this, that, and the other thing, yeah, I agree. Throw all the mud at a team. Like, go after them. It basically, I'm describing the New York Knicks. Uh, basically, like, go after them, you know. But a team like the Grizzlies, they just didn't have it. They were just losing. They were getting beat. But they, from, from tip to buzzer, they were trying to win for Memphis. And in that last game against Portland – I'm just going to say it. That's one of the most proud I've ever been of a Grizzlies team. Those guys took punches and kept punching back. Ja had a broken thumb and put up 35 points against Dame on national television in the biggest game of his career. There are so many positive things for Grizzlies fans to hang their hats on moving forward from the bubble even. So I'm going to choose to focus on those. Yeah, there were some red flags that kind of popped up, but some of those red flags I could say – we're more situational. We have reasons why those things were happening and we have solutions to those problems. So I'm not going to harp on them too much. I'm going to talk about the positives that I saw and why I'm so excited moving forward and why I'm so excited for next season, because there were so many just fun things to, to focus on right now as a Grizzlies fan. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I could go on and on about that, but I'd basically be repeating you because I agree. I mean, this is an exciting time to be a Grizzlies fan. I know there's this kind of instant gratification to fan bases and rebuilds to where like, Oh, let's trade for this guy. Let's trade for that guy. No, it's when you, if you do that this off season, you're likely just, you're trading to be a six seed. You're not trading to right. become a t- contender. You're trading to try to be a playoff team next season. And I'm just very thankful that the Grizzlies are in a position to where they have such flexibility to where, then right there's going to be a right time to strike and it's going to be glorious. Like, kind of like the Toronto Raptors. You could be very similar situation where you waited and you waited and you waited. And finally a window opens, boom title. Yeah. It's fantastic. Now, now to that point, I think that we're starting off with two better players. Though. Like they had DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And then of course they had to get DeRozan. They got Kawhi, but I just think standing from stand, starting from the ground floor, like, I would rather have John Jaron Jackson Jr. than Kyle Lauer and DeMar DeRozan to start off this thing. But like you said, it's going to be about patience. Now, I don't know how much time you left, and I hope I'm not holding you too long. But I do want to ask you, because my second choice for the bubble, things that I think can continue overall, I do think Jonas' assists may be able to stick around. I do think that Jaws' rebounds are probably going to go up a little bit. But Jaron Jackson Jr.'s 20 points per game scoring, that's something that I think could actually come to fruition next season because – that dude looked unlocked in, in, in the bubble. He looked like a seven-foot Ray Allen running around, which terrorizes opposing coaches and defenses. So do you think that his scoring is sustainable moving forward? Absolutely, just because his game allows for it. He shoots threes at a high volume, but also he's shooting six threes a game at a 40% clip. I'm, I think <laughs> oh, my God. That just makes it, me want to dance. It's as simple as this, and I'm just going to – I quote Joe on this once a week. He's a 6'11 Clay Thompson, and Ooh. I think there's room for him to grow more as a scorer, mainly just like confidence. I mean, he's made a big emphasis on his ball handling and becoming a more potent player off the dribble. Once he continues to add more in his bag and starts, you know, taking guys. He there's some times in the bubble where he would take guys off the rim and just throw it down. He, he did that on Nurkic. Uh he made Zion fall, which I mean, granted in the bubble he just looked like an Enos cancer that can jump high. And oh, shots fired. Shots fired a little bit. But I, I think that's sustainable. But I do want to kind of pivot over to uh, the Jonas and Jaw thing because okay. I'm a sucker for players that do things outside of their position really well. And the thing with Jonas that I really liked, and I kind of did a little bit of film study on it because I was 
out of town last weekend and I wanted to really look back at his assists closely and see how he got him. And the reason why it's so sustainable for him is because a lot of the plays where he was generating assists was he was handing the ball off then screening and rolling. And when you do that, the his man's going to drop because he's going to play the rim, but he's also going to play the role because Jonas Valanciunas, he's like a 57% shooter from the field and he basically finishes anything he gets in the paint. And it open up, opens up opportunities for guys like John Morant to hit his floater or Dylan Brooks to get something at the top of the key or maybe even Kyle Anderson to get a more time to fire off his mid-range jumper. I, I think that's sustainable. And I was comparing it to guys um, at his position, and he averaged about three assists a game in the bubble, and that puts him on par with guys like Nikola Vucevic, Mark Gasol, and Joel Embiid. So if you have a center that can go for 14 and 11 while also averaging three assists a game, that's a great start for your system because, I mean, as we've seen with this Grizzlies team, they need that kind of like bruising enforcer that's kind of that, that steady rock that they can kind of fall back on. I think I, I forgot whose podcast I listened to recently about this, but Jonas is a really good floor raiser. He's going to make sure your team doesn't suck. And yeah. I think that's important going forward. And I really hope that Coach Jenkins continues to find ways to make Jonas Valanciunas a more potent playmaker because it's going to make the rest of his perimeter guys more potent weapons to score off the dribble. And the last one I really want to touch on before we close the show is John Morant, his six rebounds per game, which would be on par with guys like Lonzo Ball, Shai Gilgis Alexander, and Will Barton. The big talk about John or Jaron Jackson Jr. and why he gets subject to slanders because he doesn't rebound well for a big guy, right? Which he doesn't. He doesn't. No, uh, yeah, he does not. Right. But now. he's also, but he's also twenty or twenty-one. Yeah. If John Morant is averaging about between five and six rebounds a game, for one, it do, it doesn't make Jaron's rebounding as glaring, but also. When your point guard is getting six rebounds a game, that's more opportunities to go out and go ahead and get on the break and catch defenses off guard. And as we've seen throughout the season, the Grizzlies are a very good transition team. Obviously, when you have a guy like John Morant, who's a potent playmaker and a guy that can finish over the top of anybody once he adds another 12 pounds of muscle, then that's a great start. But you also have guys like DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, um, Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, Grayson Allen. And that that's huge for the Grizzlies, especially for a young team. You got to get out and run. And when your point guard is a, a factor on the glass, rebounding the basketball, that's huge. I mean, do you see the same thing as well? Or is this something that we see that could be kind of sustainable? Or do you think it's just kind of like a bubble outlier just because of the guys that we were missing? Well, so real quick, I want to touch on what you said about Jonas. I absolutely agree with everything you said about Jonas. I, uh, Jonas, I can't really add anything analysis-wise. I'm just going to add these two things. 2018-2019 in Memphis, 2.2 assists per game. 2019-2020, 1.9 assists per game. It's absolutely there, and it does seem like that Jenkins has figured out that he can make assists and that you can run the ball through him in, in spots where you need to. To job. I do think it's sustainable. The Now – the only reason I think it may not happen next season at that average is not because of ability or effort. It's just because I think that there's going to be more guys on the floor to eat up rebounds. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Justice Winslow is going to be in there. Like we're going to have more Kyle Anderson in there. You're going to have Aaron Jackson probably, if I had to guess, this offseason. Like last offseason, he really worked on his three-point shooting, and he brought that into, the, into this season. That's really what he wanted to focus on. I would not be shocked to see him do rebounding this offseason and to see an improvement next season when we come in. So I do think that Jock could absolutely keep that up, but the only reason he may not have that average is just because there's going, to be, there's going to be more guys on the court eating up those rebounds. To your point about getting out on the break, though, that's perfect, and that's absolutely spot on. The Grizzlies were seventh in, in pace this season in the NBA. They thrive when they were running. We saw in the bubble – when they really struggled, it was when they were having to play half-court offense, when they couldn't get things going and the other teams dictated the pace. When the Grizzlies dictate the pace, they're running, and they get the ball in Jaws' hands instantly, it causes the defense to kind of panic. Go back and watch some fast breaks with Jaws, not only in the bubble, but during the regular season, and watch the defenders around him. They have no idea where he is going because he's an MF 
basketball wizard, and that's so great to have in a rookie point guard. I mean, if you can get the ball in his hands and immediately start that offense, that's great for the Grizzlies. So I totally agree with everything you just said. I think that I do think that everything that was on the question is sustainable. There's some context that was needed for some of them. I think that Grayson's three-point percentage is probably going to go down a little bit, but I do think he can become a, a good three-point shooter for the Grizzlies. I think Jock can become a reliable rebounder for the Grizzlies, like four or five per game. And I think Jonas could be between two and three assists per game. I absolutely think that those things can happen. For sure. And so, Connor, it's about all the time we have here today. So go ahead and plug in your stuff and let us know if you have any final remarks for the show. Yeah. So uh, you can find me at uh, cdunning929 on Twitter. You can listen to Giannano and Jeffrey every single day from 2 to 4 CT on 929 FM ESPN. I'm back in studio, so it's going to be the three of us every single day on the show now. I'm not just going to be doing my 245 segments. Um, go uh, subscribe and follow the Sound and Color podcast where me and my buddy Isaiah Downey talk about movies, music, pop culture, um, just kind of any, anything going on with movies. Y'all know my second love is movies and TV, so we talk about that there. It's on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts. We also have a Twitter, Sound and Color pod. So go follow those. Uh, the final thought I have for Grizzlies fans, though, is just stay patient with this team. Give them time to develop and have fun with it. This team's so much fun to watch. Just have fun with it. Try to find silver linings when you can. And to be honest, I was so excited that we finally get a farm system. We finally have a farm system. We finally have all these assets. There's no reason the trade goes away right now. That's going to be my final thoughts. Absolutely. And Connor, thank you so much for joining us for this installment of GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're following the blog at SBN Grizzlies or reading its work at grizzlybearblues.com. Making sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing reviews for the GBB Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And with that... Prime 4th Grizz Nation. This is GBB Live. <laughs>